When God Was Queer, I'm your host, Dakota St. Clair, and I'm joined by my two fabulous and beautiful co-hosts, Vince Vance and Daphne Malfitano. <laughs> Vince Vance. <laughs> I was trying to do that deeper as like a Hades voice, and then I just didn't get there in the register. It was um, fine. It just kind of came out like a man. <laughs> well, your, your St. Louis came out really good. That was that was nice. It's fine. You were going low, and then you swerved a little bit to the twang. It was fine. I, I yeah, think I mean, it's, Oh, there it is. Vince Vance. There Vince. it is. Vince yeah, Vance. Baby, turn the lights in. <laughs> uh so th- we are super excited speaking of um going l- low um <laughs> we are super excited to go all the way down to fucking hell we are talking about hades, hades. today woo i'm a woo girl for hades you're what i'm a woo girl for hades you really are yeah, you are, I, I, <laughs> you are. I love it like i love that i'm that i get to do this with two other people who genuinely appreciate hades the way that i do so much so and all the really cool shit that comes with hades because like yeah. there's so many people who have a lot of ideas about hades and it's just like bro like out of the three brothers like he's the fucking coolest man like we're in our zone now so yeah absolutely yeah we dealt with the sky we dealt with the ocean and then we get to go from where all of us spawned which is hell you know it's like great the motherland so yeah i mean you know sort of going right into it let's just fucking get in because we got a lot of stuff to cover what is everybody's general vibe with hades going into this episode I'm excited to give you a lot of like details to fill in blanks, but like yeah. I'm sure that this is one of the episodes where it's like, you know, it's up aside. And you're like, yeah, he's the ocean. I don't know. I kind of think he's probably cooler than Zeus, but that's about it. Like, what mm-hmm. do you? What's your whole thing about Hades? Ooh, I mean, it's really hard to like. I do like I actively do this, but it's really hard to separate him from the like early Tumblr like romantic relationship watercolor deviant art. Yeah, Uh, it's really hard to divorce that from like how I actually think of him because it's so attractive. And and, then the later like soft boy aesthetic Hades, mm -hmm. which was like, oh, that's that's nice. I like that. It's that. It's that pomegranate are my favorite fruit. It's that. Mm. um, You know, I think honestly, if I'm be real honest, I think growing up like single mom. And, like, growing up around a lot of women and, like, hearing about, like, how to not be a shitty, like, a raised man. Um, I think one of the stories I looked to was Hades because of his treatment of Persephone. Mm. Like, in the way that it was portrayed against everything else, it seemed the most functional. Mm. Um, and so I think I always For respected sure, him a context, lot more. For sure, in context, absolutely. Yeah, I think I always respected him a lot more because of that. Um, and also, just like in most of the myths, he like he wasn't there fucking pe- like there was like not a lot where he's just like aggravating people for no reason. It seemed. It yeah, like well, he, he really doesn't leave. Like he doesn't leave the underworld. He's like a homebody who just <laughs> yeah. chills, you know. And like I think that's always really interesting. Yeah. Just out front, I do want to let everybody know. Yes, the most famous depiction of Hades and Persephone 
is uh, always called the rape of Persephone. Just a little bit of context, in its traditional usage of the English language, rape did not mean what it means today for a very long time. Um, Rape also meant abduction, usually of someone very important. So it would be like a princess, and it was like an act of war that started a war between two kingdoms or something. It didn't always involve actual violence of rape that we think about today. So, you know, obviously consent matters. Obviously that's something that we prioritize, you know, maintaining as our central core ethos in our podcast. But we do want to just make sure that everybody understands that the the reason that the depiction is him erupting from the earth and grabbing her is because it's about the abduction of Persephone in today's parlance. Yeah. I do want to just also set out for our audience before we begin the episode today, we are not talking about Persephone today. We have an entire Persephone episode to deal with that myth, and that is not only the most famous Persephone myth, it's kind of the only one. Mm -hmm. So if we tackled it today, it really wouldn't leave us much to do in her episode. So we will deal with the abduction of Persephone and that whole thing and the origin of winter when we do our Demeter and Persephone episode, because that's really, you know, that belongs there. There's so many other incredible things to talk about when we talk about Hades that we're going to tackle today that you've probably never gotten a chance to hear. So, Yeah. yeah. I guess I like thinking about Hades, or I think the reason that I was always really drawn more drawn to him and more drawn to that entire like area of the underworld and like what's going on down there. I guess because he's like the out, he's the outsider. He's like definitely the black sheep, like very literally, like, and the way you said, like he doesn't really come out of his zone. So it's like, there's sort of, you know, I mean, already I feel like Poseidon already doesn't come out of his zone as much, but his zone is closer and it's still like, there is some intermingling. I feel like Hades and the underworld are just kind of like their own. It's this own and also very mysterious. Like, when I imagine like Mount Olympus, it's kind of like basic, <laughs> like it's like yeah. a suburb or something. It's like I, I feel like I can kind of envision the entire thing in my mind's eye, and like everyone's kind of around, and like it's that's like it. Yeah. There's not that much to it. It's like you know, it's a bunch of thrones, and there, you know, there's some stuff going on. <laughs> but I, like when I think of the underworld, I like have no. It's like I don't even know that I've seen cool. in my mind's eye most of the places that are yeah. going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it's cool. I feel like and Hades just always seems to me much more. Um, I don't know, I guess kind of withdrawn and noble or something. Mm. There's something mm. noble about like the 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 <clears throat> fact that he's like more quiet or more thoughtful or you know, than at least than his two main brothers cuz it's like by comparison he just feels a lot more thoughtful. Mm. And it's like the state of matter now that I like you saying that made me think like, yo, it's like the Mount Olympus is air, right? Or like a gas. Yeah. And it's just like very like oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> like and like Zeus just does whatever the fuck he wants, and no one can really stop him. Um, whereas and then like Poseidon, you know, liquid, and so there's a little bit more structure and form down there. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's true. A little, and then you go down and to wait. Like, hey, yeah, and wait, and you go to Hades. Gravitas. Like, yeah, I, I like that. Gravitas. A, I guess there is a, a cool. sense. There's a sense of that around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's he also hangs out with all the old people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that talking about, like, him staying in his zone, I mean, a lot of people don't even realize this. Hades is not an Olympian. Right. right. He's of the Olympic era. Right. 
but he's not ever counted among the 12 Olympians. Yeah, he's like other Because guy. he doesn't live <laughs> on Mount Olympus. Yeah, because he's an outsider. He's a total outsider. Even though Poseidon is counted yeah. and doesn't live on Olympus, he still has a throne there and he still visits from time to time. It's like his mm-hmm. a country house. He's got his country house, his city house. He's got his like place in the south that he goes to sometimes. Like, it's the family right. compound. Yeah. And his like, individual building, he shows up sometimes. Whereas Hades like, doesn't, doesn't even, he doesn't even have a house at, like in their home state anymore. They're like, you sure we don't want you? Yeah. Don't want to? He's like, literally, never talk to me again. It also, <laughs> I think for me, the thing that I always sort of felt on some level, even before researching the myths as thoroughly as I have, I feel like I always felt like the other two are just kind of fucking around. Yes. And like, Hades is working. Yeah. I think yeah. the, the gra- yeah. gravitas is at work. Yeah. Gravitas is a really <laughs> sure. good word. For him, like our our yeah. feeling about him, it's like he does seem like he's got important business to attend yeah. to, <laughs> right? And the other two are kind of vaguely just fucking around, or even if Poseidon is like dealing with drama more than Zeus is like causing drama, it's like they're still both wrapped up in like some kind of fucking sitcom drama all the time. And I feel like Hades actually is kind of just like doing real world shit. Right, absolutely. Well, and I love the idea of him being the act, like even though he kind of well kind of got screwed. He's that he's the true king because everyone has to come to him. At oh some yeah, point. Mm. Um, and so just like he just has way more people to deal. With. <laughs> everyone, forever. Yeah, you might not ever meet Zeus or see hide nor hair of him, but you will meet Hades at some point. Yep. You know, <laughs> and you will be a subject. Yeah, so you know we've got some really cool stuff to talk about with Hades. We're filling in a lot of the blanks. You know, we've got first of all his origins. You know, it's always said that he's the eldest of the sons. Uh, the firstborn sung among the initial Olympians and the first to be consumed by Cronus. Domain, you know, he's known as the king of the underworld. He's the god and the ruler of the dead. One thing that a lot of people don't know about Hades is that he presided over funeral rites. And there are many cases in which he defends the right of the dead to a proper burial. Hmm. Like, just out of dignity and respect. Like... This needs to happen because it's part of the natural order. And the natural order is something that's going to come up quite a lot. And I think that's another thing about the just fucking around the other two do is they're constantly subverting the natural order. And he's an enforcer of it. Ah. Mm. That's a pretty clear divide. So attributes and iconology in your head. What does Hades look like? I was actually just going to say something about that because the way you just said about the funeral rites, it's funny because I do kind of imagine him like a like a like a god version of a funeral director. Like mm. like somber dress but like but super like sleek and and very like very intimidating looking but not like I don't know, the other two are like definitely more dressed up like fucking, you know, like glittery yeah. outfits and like mm-hmm. and I feel like he I definitely picture him in a or nothing or nothing or just like (laughs) right just like abs but i feel like he's very and i do think of him as the oldest which is funny because i didn't realize that until we got started doing this podcast but like Mm. i did always think of him as the like the ancient most ancient of the three of them Mm -hmm. um or even the most ancient of the olympian generation like i just like he felt like one of the oldest ones like he just always gives off that vibe i think it's just more maturity than anything else he seems Mm. very mature but like i do picture him in an extremely sleek kind of somber way, the way you would imagine the coolest looking mortician like in the world Mm -hmm. or funeral director in the world to look, you know? 
Yeah, he's not mean. He's formal. Very formal. Yeah. And elegant. That's what I want in whoever's going to have to do with my death. Yeah. I want to know they're going to take it seriously. Seriously. Exactly. You know, like I I would be horrified if Zeus or Poseidon was the one in charge of fucking dead people and the dead and where they go and all of that. It would be fucking chaos. Make a mockery. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel like my, like view of Hades and it's taking an influence from a lot of things but I think one of the main and earliest things is Anubis mm. because I think that the same thing right like that's who I would want to be handling totally. it. Mm. Um, and then later when I found out about Thoth being like super kind of diligent about all of this stuff that needs to happen as well like that kind of um, like thinking about like that kind of duty as being natural order was something that I hadn't thought about until I made that like kind of connection mm. Um, but I think for me, like Hades shifts a lot, kind of like shadows. Like mm. I think of him very much like if you are the Lord of the underworld and there isn't like sunlight down there, there's a whole bunch of shit you can do. Like I think of mm. him as kind of like having the powers of spawn, but having it look way more elegant, essentially. Mm. And so like sometimes he's slender, sometimes he's buff Greek, <laughs> Greek daddy. Um, sometimes he's bearded. Sometimes he's just like like his skin mm. is ashen faced. Like it's just like the mm. color of ash, ash. like funeral ash. Yeah. Um, I think the helm of darkness always kind of shifts for me too because mm. I always think of him as like not having to wear it. Yeah, it, it just is him now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's so kind I, of hard to always picture him with the Magneto helmet on. Yeah. I kind of just <laughs> imagine know? it as like a crown, yeah. maybe like a very mm, sim- yeah. like a simple sort of, but slightly primitive, like a circlet, like a primitive little crown. The, yeah. For me, though, I think like what I'm saying is like I feel like for Zeus, he's super showboaty about his like symbol of the lightning bolt. Yeah, right? and with like Poseidon doesn't put the trident down, right? Like you mm-hmm. always see yeah. Poseidon with the trident. I feel like Hades is the type to like subsume the helm of darkness into his being. Totally. Yeah. So it just is just him. part of his body now. And like that's how I think of like Hades, both in like image and kind of like in concept. having like a more amorphous. Yeah. Yeah. I, because, I like, like that. He's, he's also seen like everything, what's his you know? name? <laughs> what uh. Oh, what's their name? Ashiok. Ashiok. Yes. Had, yeah, I love I it exactly that you knew. We were talking about. There's <laughs> yeah, a yeah, yeah. there's a character, um, Daphne, in Magic. We both play Magic: The Gathering. They have to explain stuff to me because I'm not a nerd. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's a planeswalker. Planeswalkers basically are like what you're supposed to be in playing the game. Gotcha. Right. And so you there's planeswalker cards where basically it's as if you were to call in another planeswalker to mm-hmm. come help you out. And planeswalkers are basically, they're kind of godlike. Cool. They're, you know, and so they're they showing have this me a thing. picture, and it's yeah. very cool. So they have this thing of like, they can move between the different planes of the multiverse. Mm-hmm. They're the only beings that can. And it's wild because, like, a lot of them, their origin story has to do with when they're, they have what's called a planeswalker spark that allows them to do that. And when that spark first ignites, they usually get, like, hurtled across the multiverse into some new (laughs) place they don't even know how to survive in. And then, like, they either make it or they don't. Um, But Ashiok is a planeswalker who is, I would say, one of the closest to actually being a god and Mm -hmm. is genderless and... I've always really liked how they have drawn Ashiok, especially, yeah. obviously, their face. Yeah. Because to me, if I'm thinking about the forces of death or the underworld, there's something so incredible about somebody's, like, literal cranium ending in smoke. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And the anonymity that that provides, but still being able to speak. Mm-hmm. And I Just think like one of the mouth, coolest yeah. things about Ashiok, besides them being one of the first kind of, like, 
definitively non like gendered or like just like kind of outside of the binary mm-hmm. magic characters um is that like the type of evil that they are mm, <laughs> yeah um it's so terrifying do they eat nightmares what do they, they do like, they're just like their domain is nightmares oh, yeah that's cool. um and the the more people are scared the more powerful they get but mm-hmm. the more powerful they get the more they can make people scared mm-hmm. and they just do these terrible things with memories and so just like i i think like yeah it's just it's so cool because like they they just move in this way that like is not from up here right like things right. have legs and hooves and paws and things because they're up here and so like thinking about what something moves like when it's down yeah, there for sure. right? mm. and like moving through the small cracks of the earth in the form of smoke to then expand into a cavern sized god i think is like super cool and definitely hades i could definitely yeah. see hades being like made of like a black mist like a lot of the time, like when he wants to be, you know, <laughs> I, I think I see yeah. his styling as very much that like ethereal, but also very German, you know, yeah, like it's, just, it's uh, like German expressionism. Like there's some, yeah. it's like very like black, white, gold, but like very stark, like, you yeah. know, and just like yeah. long draping fabric and or like, or like, yeah, sort of like an ether or something, you know, not a lot of. He's like characteristics outside of these very stark things in terms of his depiction he's usually depicted as dark bearded and regal his key attribute is his bident so Mm. one of the things i think is really interesting is that um if you think about zeus poseidon and hades zeus always holds a scepter Mm -hmm. like one One. hades holds a bident which is like a trident but has only two points yeah yeah, which like if you look at some of the old timey pitchforks, that's what they are. Yeah, they don't exactly. have like rows; it's just two points. Two. And then you have the uh, trident from trident. Neptune, so it's almost like one, two, three. Yeah, I think it's like wild. He also has the helm of darkness, which grants him invisibility. You basically never see him portrayed with it on, though. Or even, like, <laughs> holding it. Like, it's just a thing that everybody knows is there. Yeah. yeah. It's invisible but also. It can, it's just always invisible. It's like right. He's always wearing me, it. I'm invisible. So right. You so you wouldn't see it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so he is often portrayed seated on a throne with a scepter or his bident, uh, a cornucopia, sometimes mm-hmm. a rooster. And holding one of his other really famous attributes, at least famous in the ancient world, that a lot of people have forgotten about. It's the key of Hades. Sometimes you'll see him holding a key. And this was seen as a reminder that the gates to the underworld will always be locked. Hmm. That's cool. He also rides in a chariot pulled by four large, beautiful, but furious black stallions. So sick. Yeah, that, yeah. this all is very, it's very stylistic. It all adds up. He's got you a know. look. He's got a look. I think I like the idea of the Helm of Darkness having to be kind of like, it's like the super suit from Invincibles or from the, the Incredibles. Like, it has to be locked up so that, like, Hades can't, <laughs> like, hide for seven <laughs> now I'm thinking about him arguing the way that Frozone does with yes. his wife. So, I'm just imagining the helm of darkness. Persephone just being like, I am your wife. I am the greatest good you're ever going to find. <laughs> yeah. Touching on that a little bit, as well as common misconceptions. Again, his name. Etymologically, it's generally accepted as meaning the unseen one. 
and it's often conjectured that we don't know his real name as the Greeks believed uttering it would invoke death itself. For this reason, starting around the 5th century BC, he was most commonly called Pluton, the sovereign god and dispenser of the Earth's wealth, who's always holding a cornucopia and pours out abundance from it. He rules the riches of the Earth, and that can be the precious metals that we mine or the generative powers below the soil that allow for harvest. Pluton is not like a neutral name that just they came up with. Actually, it was forged from a fusion of Hades and the Eleusinian god Plutos. His depiction actually changes sometimes based on the epithet that's used. So there's two main ways that he was referred to by the ancient Greeks. Pluton, also there's the other side, which is Igeneus which is much more regal in a way. It shows him enthroned in the underworld, and he's usually holding a scepter with a bird at its tip. He was also called uh, very commonly by people Zeus Katakathonios, which basically means the ancient Greeks would, instead of saying Hades, they go, the Zeus of the underworld yeah. is yeah. literally what they were saying. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. Which would piss me off. <laughs> yeah, right, like you, I've got my own name. You can't like, say it, I'd but say something call else. Call me the name of my house than yeah. call me the the Zeus of the underworld. <laughs> I wanted to also just sort of throw out that there is a very interesting thing with we're going to get to his children later, but Zagreus is yes. one of his children, and there's a whole thing with Hades where he kind of gets the Zagreus treatment. Uh, depending on who's telling the story. So Heraclitus, who is a pretty well-known author of the ancient world, basically proposed that Hades and Dionysus were the same god, or at least that there was a Chthonic Dionysus. In this, we see Hades carrying or draped in snakes, and that he would have raped Persephone in the guise of a snake, and thus was born Zagreus Dionysus the central figure in the Orphic Mysteries. This is then reinforced by the statement that after Persephone's abduction, Demeter swore off ever-consuming wine again, saying that it would be a violation of custom or divine law. She uses, the, she uses the term Themis for this. This pairing was completed as a tripartite god with the inclusion of Zeus, who the Orphics saw as synonymous with Hades as well. This trinity was seen as the unification of birth, death, and resurrection. So there's always a lot going on, and we're going to get into this even more when we talk about Greek versus Roman versus Etruscan. There's, it's it's not, you know, um, just like a play on words to say that Hades' true character is somewhat shrouded in darkness. I mean, even the contemporary ancient Greeks really disagreed on his temperament, his nature, um, who he truly was, whether there was more than one of him, whether or not he was just Zeus in disguise. Mm. Um, there was a lot of different things that they would sort of try to do to figure it out because for the most part, he wasn't depicted. And that's because just as much as they didn't talk about him or say his name, they didn't want to depict him either because the idea was you don't want to draw his attention. Yeah, he's got everybody shook. <laughs> right. He was also called Clymenus, which means notorious, Polydegmon, which means he who receives many, and Eubulius, which means good counsel or well-intentioned, an epithet he shared with Dionysus leading to more of that theory. Interesting, that yeah. So it's also, in terms of misconceptions, I kind of want to go back to where we started with like what your kind of initial um, feeling was about Hades, because one of the most common misconceptions that I find 
is, you know, it's like really easy for us in our modern context to immediately think of any underworld spirit or God, especially anyone associated with death as evil. Mm. This is a major mistake to make. The Greeks may have feared Hades, but it's because they feared death, not because he was evil or hurtful. He's doing his he job. was considered like a necessary natural part of the universe. Um, he was sometimes characterized as stern and cold, but that was more because he was known to be implacable. It was the implacability of death, and it was his unmoving uh, justness in that he held everyone equally accountable in the end. Mm -hmm. Everyone would have to answer. He's generally seen as just necessary and operates in a quite even-handed manner. In some myths, he's even seen as compassionate and quite generous. However, it must be understood that Hades was vengeful and punishing of anyone who sought to cheat death or subvert the natural order. He was not the punisher of the dead, though. He was the enforcer of nature's laws, and he was quite hospitable and very protective of the dead, at least the ones that, you know, had not been heinous in life. Yeah. He lived in and ruled over the underworld, almost never leaving. But he wasn't alone either. He had a retinue that usually included the Furies, the Judges of the Dead, and you'd be really hard-pressed to find him in any depiction from ancient Greece where he doesn't have Cerberus with him. You'll always know it's <laughs> Poseidon because you're going to see a trident. But when you see... Um, Hades, he doesn't usually have his Biden, you know, unless he's like on his throne. He's not usually like mm. holding anything, but he damn sure has that dog next to him. <laughs> Such a dog I'll tell you that right now. Aww. He I is. It's so good. <laughs> um, sacred objects wise, he his sacred plants were narcissists, specifically black narcissists. Wow. Iris Asphodel. Asphodel is um if you know anything about the underworld, we're going to talk about the different areas, but there's the Asphodel Meadows. Asphodel was actually a real flower. It was a real plant. And the Greeks often planted it on the graves of loved ones because it was said to feed the dead. Wow. Uh, mint is sacred to him, as is poplar. And there's myths for those that we'll talk about later. Huh. His sacred animal was the screech owl, <laughs> which... Cool. Obviously. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, and this is something that I think really just like, as soon as I was reading it, I was like, Daphne needs to hear this. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it's very much no ring circus style. Mm -hmm. um, so if you were making your offerings to Hades, you had to perform them in a pit. You had to be subterranean. Oh my God. You would offer him only black animals, usually black sheep, which you were talking about earlier. And you would bang your hands on the ground in order to get his attention. Wow. But when you yes. made your offerings, you always had to avert your face. Oh, my God. Lest you look into the face <laughs> of death. Our next show is that's definitely so taking cool. place in a pit. That's amazing. Yes! That's, that's so oh, my God. That's sick. so sick. Uh, as far as magic goes, the names of both Hades and Pluto appear in the Greek magical papyri and in curse tablets, with Hades typically referring to the underworld as a place and Pluto regularly invoked as the partner of Persephone. Five Latin curse tablets from Rome dating to the mid-first century BC promise Persephone and Pluto an offering of dates, figs, and a black pig if the curse is fulfilled by the desired deadline. Whoa, the pig cool. was a characteristic animal sacrifice to underworld gods whose victims were almost always black or dark in color. 
The same thing went with Hecate, by the way. We'll talk yeah. about that in Hecate's episode. But um, she's always been, you know, black dogs are sacred to her. And people don't realize that that's what you sacrificed. You actually had to kill and make meat out of black puppies and make what was called um, a Hecate's dinner by some people, which was this big platter of garbage and puppy meat and like slop and all this stuff. And then oh leave God. it at a crossroads for her to con- consume. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh my God. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, so, yes. also, as we previously mentioned, Hades, Persephone, Cerberus, and the Furies were all regularly called upon in love spells cast by lesbians mm-hmm. in lesbians, ancient Greece. Yep. What do we think that's about? Like, I just need to, like, dive into this with y'all. Why were lesbians like, I'm going to hell to get help to get you back? I think when you're just that, like, shit on in society, like, you you advance through like spheres of consciousness way faster than other people and i feel like the faster you go the more you realize like how sick chthonic energy is and just mm. like and it's like you stop being as scared of death cuz you're like i may have, well i think there's, there's a lot of thoughts that you have uh, that kind of lessen that for you. And so I feel like it's a... I get it. That's why I like demonology and learning all about it. Because I'm like, wait a minute. You want me to give up the idea of like having like a big dick demon daddy for like emaciated <laughs> guilt-ridden Jesus hanging on the cross? You need a better sales pitch. Because if you're like, hey, you can have the guy from The Passion of the Christ or you can have Hellboy... You already know how I feel about Hell Ron Perlman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can call me Toby Maguire. I would ride Ron Perlman like Seabiscuit. Even with the broken leg, we are getting across that finish line. That's what I'm going to do. We're really into Ron Perlman on this podcast. Jesus Christ. Get with it. This is a Ron Perlman stand podcast. Gen Z people, you got to get into it. Do you even know who you that is? You have to. I don't, go find out. Go figure it out. You might. I, it's like, bro, he is so unbelievably the like the fulfillment of, of daddy yes fit him with a cigar i know stop sir. okay stop it we're gonna have to stop he's always recording. got like a cigar and i'm like <laughs> bro you're literally a living moving tom of finland yep, character i real. need you to get the fuck out of here with that you know what it's like your fucking husband is a tom of he finland is. character i'm married to a tom of finland character jesus christ <laughs> and he knows you it. just he knows it too oh yeah my god he's a heartbreaker okay look if you're watching the l word you know that if Bet could have made an ancient Greek curse tablet to fucking get back Tina in the first two seasons, she would have. She would have. Yep. She absolutely would have. And Jenny Schechter came straight out of hell. So obviously <laughs> it makes sense that this is how things work. I think it. I think it makes sense. I think they know. It all it. Adds we up. all know it. Come on. It all adds up. You just got to do the math, man. You just got to do the math. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Insert Charlie Day. That's it. Let's go, lesbians. Let's go. Now, let's talk Greek versus Roman versus Etruscan versus the world. Okay. Wait, really quickly before you go into that. Yes. This is really short. One of the funny things about it being a screech owl is that um, there's not a lot of ways to quantify bird intelligence um, or hasn't been. There's this one guy who made like essentially a system to do so by like essentially... Uh, evaluating their level of creativity and adaptation that they can get to when they try and find food. So it does this of thousands of hours of bird watching and essentially figuring out how they adapt and that kind of rates their intelligence that way. Um, We don't have data for owls because they're too efficient killers at night. Mm. 
so we can't see them and also they're like super efficient at being silent helm of darkness yeah so there's this like misconception that owls are stupid but it's like we just can't quantify their intelligence i'm sorry who says that owls are stupid i know that a lot of people thought they're known as literally literally a classical symbol symbol of wisdom wisdom, yeah Yeah, there's a lot i've met so many people why the fuck does the kid with the tootsie pop go to the asshole owl to say mr owl how many likes are in a tootsie pop also archimedes uh, archimedes yeah come on Archimedes. No, I agree with you. Is this a Gen Z thing again? Because I'm not trying to have an intergenerational war, but I will. That is a hill I'll die on. What about the fucking Guardians of Gahul or whatever the fuck that movie is? They're all wise. We're going to start the podcast Amaki up in here. Yes, we fucking are. (laughs) Don't you dare. That's like saying octopuses are stupid. (laughs) They're literally aliens from another planet that are like we don't even understand. Yeah, that's. I think that's a good point. It's, but it's interesting that like whatever misconceptions about owls there may be, it's because they're just like too fucking on their own level. That's our failing. Yeah, exactly. We're the idiot that we can't comprehend how great they are because they're too good at what they do, and they're not doing it in front of us because they don't give a shit about us. No. Please, I wanna... owls are stupid. <laughs> I'm fucking offended. I'm actually. I'm like hot over that. Well, I, I what kind of argue. moron looks at the whole animal kingdom and goes, "Yeah, owls are the idiots here." I look. I like that Vince I is like, "I did not make this up." And I argued <laughs> against it, and I heard it enough times again that I was like, "You know what? Let me. I want to have." That's like a Corvid. Like you're saying, like, "Yeah, crows are idiots." Are you Corvid. kidding me? Okay, so then then I would actually have to fight some. Crows are scary. <laughs> like They're geniuses. They are scary intelligent. Yeah. They remember faces, bitch. Like, they will fuck you up if you disrespect them. Pass down information through generations. Yeah. Fucking amazing. Like, like they, like, oh, they're my favorite bird. Oh, my God. They're so cool. That's why I'm like, yeah, obviously they're fucking related to the underworld. Hello. Yeah, Yeah, of course. (laughs) Or the other world or whatever. They're, they're, they're beyond this realm. They're much, they're the cats of birds. Yeah, you know, yeah. where you're like, you just look <laughs> yeah. at them and you go, "That's yeah. mythical." Yeah, there's some, that's there's some shit that going one got on left there. behind. Yeah. The, dra- the dragons sure. and the unicorns died, and this thing is still here. <laughs> yep. So we yeah, need to watch just, out. <laughs> I think. Look, if you think you know what a raven looks like, I want you to just go look up a raven again oh, yeah. because you may have forgotten how fucking giant. Huge. They are. Yeah. Also, if you just look at one, you're like, "Holy shit! Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> like, what is that thing?" Well, some of the some birds really show that they're from dinosaurs mm-hmm. yeah. I think that like corvids are from whatever was before something that. else something else for sure they're like <laughs> primordial yeah. like you look at them and you're not like that's the, you know it's not like velociraptor feet it's like oh this was here when the sun rose the first time yep you know yeah, like the other birds like they like to sing and then corvids were like I can speak. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, right. Like, oh, no. I can fully tell you to shut the fuck up in three yeah. languages. Yeah. You know? That's what I And one of them, them is a dead language because I'm a fucking Corvid <laughs> and I've been I'm here ancient. forever. That's one of my favorite things about them is like, because I obviously have looked up t- into getting one as a pet, which is a bad idea. But uh, one of the reasons is because uh, they learn so quickly. Mm. So if you teach them, like, as a joke, the word treat, or if they hear you say the word treat as they see, like, they'll learn that's what that is. And then every time they're hungry, they will yell that at you. 
and because they're so big, they like bat against their cages. It's like not shit. safe. They're like they're like imagine. toddlers. Yeah, <laughs> right. But they can fuck some shit up. Except they can fuck They'll some shit up. Face. And they also they build tools yeah. to build tools to solve problems. Yeah. You think you can keep that fucker in a cage? Give it a month. Give it a month and see if so it doesn't put cool. you in a cage, bitch. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. No, it's okay. Any, I'm, anyway, yeah. it's okay, owls. We're on the Sorry. side of the owls. I'm also, like, fully not a bird person. I'm not like, either, could, but these are cool If birds. somebody has a pet bird, I can't go in their house. Yeah, I'm terrified I, I used of them. to live with a, a bird, and it wasn't, it wasn't great. No. Mm-mm. Absolutely I've not. I've never heard anyone live with a bird and, like, really And like it? it so. No, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> no! It's, They're very like, not meant to be in the house. It's supposed to be outside. outside yeah. How do you have a thing that flies through the sky and be like, I want to keep this in a metal fucking box yeah. in my house? Mm-hmm. They're Are you kidding me? Like... You look at a fish and you go, yeah, it doesn't know that's not the ocean. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what's fine. going on at all. No, not at all. They're they're fine. You don't have to worry about them. <laughs> Except when I learned that koi are affectionate. That was a lot for me. That was like borderline existential crisis. Yeah, that's, I don't want to. Like, let's not think about that. I don't want to. I don't want to think about that. Stressful. But you don't keep them in like a tank in your house. They have to be like in a pond. Yeah, but sometimes the ponds are not very big. No, and the koi can outgrow them, and it becomes very bad. It's yeah. Sad. Oh no. Let's, yeah. Okay. Move on. Welcome to sad talk. Move on. Um, <laughs> so, what are some of the counterparts to Hades that you've heard of? Pluto. So Pluto is not a Roman invention. Pluto is a Greek invention that then basically got carried over. Like uh, they just Latinized the name. It was Pluton. We've already talked about him. That was this whole thing, abundance of the earth. And that pretty much lined up with like a lot of what they had kind of going on with an, with one of their underworld gods. So they were like, all right, cool. Cause the thing is, is that like the Romans, some of their gods were ancient Italic gods. Some of them came to them through the Sabines. Some of them were Etruscan in nature and then other ones were ones they didn't have at all. They just completely took the Greek one and they were like, yeah, cool, awesome, got that, you know? <laughs> the other one that we have that's uh, Roman, essentially, like much more Roman in nature, is Dispotter. And so Dispotter was a Roman god of the underworld. He's the one who ruled the dead alongside his wife, Proserpina. He was associated originally with the hidden wealth and fertility of the earth, like Pluton. His name came to be used for a location, the city of Dis, which was described in Dante's Inferno as lower hell beyond the sixth circle. He was worshipped alongside Proserpina every hundred years. That's how the Romans thought about it. They were like, it's safe to call upon him and Proserpina every hundred years. Any more than that. We'll probably have, like, death everywhere because <laughs> we don't want their attention. And in terms of demeanor, he's the most regal hmm. of, like, all of the variations, including Hades. He's like, this is the king on his throne who just rules over the affairs of the city of the dead. Then you have Orcus. Now, Orcus is kind of confusing on his origin. I mean, he definitely was known by the Etruscans, but there's a lot of evidence that he was not originally Etruscan because he's also not their main underworld god. He may have been Sabine. He's a god of the underworld, and he's the punisher of broken oaths. He's mostly Italic in his mythological roots. He was depicted in Etruscan tombs as a bearded, hairy giant. He's often posited not as a king, but as a punisher of the dead. He survived as a folk figure into the Middle Ages, and then underwent something of a revival, playing a major role in the wild man festivals of rural Europe Hmm. in that period and into modern times in certain places. Interestingly, the word orco, coming from orca, 
Argus, an Italian, came to be used for a monster who feeds on human flesh found in fairy tales, and it's through this usage in the filter of French that we got the word ogre today. The word orc is also pulled from Orcus as well. Because I was going to say, Orcus is, I think, the god of the orcs in D&D. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. It also matches his, his, you know, kind of temperament as well. Slaughter. Uh, then we have Ida, who is my favorite, um, or Ida Kalu. So the Etruscan ruler of the underworld, whose name is Ida, was said to have a wolf's head, especially in one of his epithets or incarnations, Ida Kalu, because uh, Kalu was the infernal wolf god. So Ida Kalu would appear either with a wolf's head, as a wolf, as a pack of wolves, would be announced by the howling and running of wolves. And if he was human, he would wear a wolfskin cloak, kind of like if you've ever seen how Heracles wears the lion, mm-hmm. where it has like the lion's head, the over, head, his head. over his head. Yeah. That whole thing as well. The really cool thing about him too is that one of the things you have to know about the Etruscans and like one of the reasons I love them so much is that they had a really staggeringly egalitarian society compared to everybody else. And this was actually considered to be savage by the Romans and the Greeks who wrote about them in interactions with them, that women had a nearly equal status in society um, for the Etruscans. And this is mirrored in the fact that he rules the underworld alongside his wife, who's the queen of the underworld. Her name is Persipne, and she's beautiful. She has snakes in her hair. And they rule side by side on a joint throne cast from ebony, supported by sphinxes, and they carry scepters of equal length. Oh, that's cool. That is cool. Which is, like, unheard of. So those are sort of like the other, you know, kind of infernal gods that we've got going on in that region. Um, And you can kind of see aspects of Hades in all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, syncretism was a thing. Mm. Then we have a little discussion that I want to have with you guys about the gods of death. And that's because there's no known cosmology or pantheon that does not feature at least one spirit or deity who presides over, determines, or embodies the concept of death. Now, they can take many forms. This is something that gets a little bit nebulous for people, so I'm going to just, like, nail it down. This is how I describe it in one of my classes. So these are the different gods of death that you'll come across. There are death gods slash spirits who are the anthropomorphized or personified incarnation of death itself. So, La Santissima Muerte is a perfect example of that. She is literally death. She is holy death as a saint, right? Then you have the dying god. Many pantheons feature the death of a god or gods. Often this is a major event layered with a lot of meaning. So for the Greeks, that would be Attis. For the Norse, that would be Balder. And it's like a big deal when it happens. For the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. No, not Osiris. It's a dying god. They have to stay dead. Oh, they have to stay dead. Yeah, they have to stay dead. Then you have... You jumped a gun on me a little bit there. You have the resurrection god or the rising and dying god. And many pantheons do feature a god who dies and then is reborn by some divine process, often repeatedly. So that's going to be Osiris. That's going to be Dionysus. That's going to be Jesus Christ. That's going to be a lot of different people who are a resurrection god, which is very different, as you can see, from a dying god. You also have gods of the dead in the underworld. They are the judges, rulers, and protectors of the dead in the places that they reside in. That, of course, is going to be where we find Hades and Persephone. It's also where we're going to find the judges of the dead in the ancient Greek world, which are Aeacus, Minos, and Radamanthus, who we'll get to in a second. 
Then we have psychopomps. Psychopomps are spirits uh, or gods who transport newly dead souls to their next stop. They are escorts. They don't judge. They don't punish. They don't do anything like that. They literally just take somebody who just died and they take them to wherever they've got to go. That could be um, judgment, the afterlife, you know, wherever they're supposed to go. Of course, most famously, we have Hermes for the Greeks. Uh, Hecate also fulfills that role in several different ways, as does Charon as well, being the literal ferryman. So in different sort of scales, you find that to be a thing as well. Last but not least, you have the spirits or gods of death and dying. These are the the ones who deliver death. They make it actually happen. They're the ones that cause death to occur. So knowing that, I wanted to, first of all, go through the last one, the ones who actually deliver death and make it happen, and sort of tell you guys about the several very important different types of death that the different gods embodied and could bring to you. Of course, foremost, we have Thanatos, who's kind of our boy. We we really love him on this podcast. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, he's the god of nonviolent, peaceful death, what we call death by natural causes. His twin brother was Hypnos, the god of sleep. As to the Greeks, they were both children of Nyx, and they were twins, and they were two sides of the same coin. Essentially, you know, for the Greeks, they thought that sleep was a small version of death. Because you, as far as you know, cease to exist for that time until you regain consciousness. He was depicted as a bearded, handsome, winged man, usually wielding a sword. But the sword was more indicative of his station than his violence. Mm. He was never really violent. Um, Just powerful. The Romans, however, gave gave us his most common depiction, a beautiful winged youth holding an inverted torch and a wreath and usually either holding a butterfly or having a butterfly fly around him because for the Romans and for some of the Greeks, the butterfly actually represented the disembodied soul being brought to the underworld. That pops up a lot. Then we have Keres. Now, Keres are not one goddess. They're a class of goddesses. They are the spirits of violent or cruel death, whether by battle, by accident, by murder, or by disease. They were agents of the fates. They craved blood and would tear a soul from its body and cast it down into Hades. And they were depicted as women dressed in blood-soaked garments bearing fangs and talons. Wow. That is some badass shit. Also another metal bandy. Yeah. Oh, the absolutely. The carries, like, please. Yeah. Drenched in blood. Oh my god, you gotta get three people named Carrie. The carries. Yeah. <laughs> get your shitty prom dress. Then we have my favorite <laughs> god of death, and it's Makaria, who you may have probably never heard of. No. She's the daughter of Hades. She has no mother. She is the embodiment of blessed, holy death. And she's almost, when she is depicted, she's almost exclusively depicted with albinism. Whoa. All right, I'm writing that. Yeah, me too. (laughs) And she is almost always depicted as a little girl who's snow white in all of her features because she's never seen the sun. And she is the daughter of Hades and there's no known mother for her. Awesome. And then arguably here, we also have the Moirai, the Fates, because they're the three sisters who weave the inescapable destiny of each mortal being. You know, remember last week when we talked about um, the boy with the ivory shoulder, mm-hmm. the one that put him back together was one of the Fates and her name was Clotho. And the reason she was able to do that is Clotho's the spinner. Mm. Uh, she's the one who spins the threads of life. Therefore, reanimating somebody would be in her wheelhouse, not the other two. 
Then you have her sister Lachesis, who is the apportioner of lots. That's this is by the way what their names mean. Clotho mm-hmm. means the spinner. Lachesis means the apportioner of lots, and she's the one who would measure the threads and determine oh, someone's sure. lifespan. Right. And then you have Atropos who is the unturnable or the inexorable. She's the one with the scissors, scissors. who would cut the thread, and she would determine the time and the manner of death. So badass. So, yeah, those are our death gods in ancient Greece. What do we think? Do we have a favorite? Do we have an MVP? <sighs> I mean, obviously, we're all partial to Thanatos, but yeah, also, I, Macaria, I threw I Macaria, I think Macaria in there. Like, hey, hey. Macaria is definitely the, the fan favorite now. Because Makaria makes me think of, just even in that brief description, makes me think of Hela. Um, okay. Who, like, sometimes is also depicted as, like, really pale um, and, like, the daughter of Loki. So that that, that was just kind of a, a cool thing that jumped out to me. I think the, the carries are also obviously very cool. Yeah. Um, There's usually a triad of them, but they don't get names usually. Like, they're kind of like the Furies or a lot of other, like, groups where you you just sort of usually have them represented by three, but it's not named the way that you have with the Furies. I I like that Macaria is, like, um, like her daughter, her son, I'm sorry, her father's daughter. Like, it feels like, like, not having a mother and just being this sort of, like, ethereal, like, not lifelike, like, almost looks like a corpse like just sort of the, or, yeah. or a ghost or a ghost yeah, yeah she's something. almost like ethereal to the point that you're like is she actually oh, like physical? A, a person yeah is she yeah, like a right. real being but, I, but yeah. that's like of course she's just hades own creation like on his own yeah. she's like he's she's like his exact like wunderkind child like he'd be like yes you're perfect like you know I, yeah and he's I also like really showing a lot of his compassionate nature and that his child is the blessed holy death that only the few get exactly that everyone should strive for it's like the honor of his child that he made himself like is the one that's going to you know bring about your end i guess that is an honor absolutely I like the idea of him walking, like, first walking down into, like, his domain, and it's, like, echoing his footsteps, he's kind of looking around, like, all right, well, and then, like, three days later, he's like, well, I guess, and this is, like, pre-Persephone, he's like, I guess I, uh, try making one of those kid things. The pitter-patter <laughs> like of makes, little baby this makes Macario, feet. It's like, it's me and you Which kid. is a thing. <laughs> yeah. Thought, thought children yeah. are a thing in yeah. Greek mythology. Yeah. We're going to get into this when we get into their episodes, but you know how we talked about Hermaphroditus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's Hermathena. Oh. <laughs> and there's no way they ever bumped uglies for any reason, because both of them are, like, gay as hell. Yeah. yeah. And so they literally had a mind child oh. that's who presided over academia. Wow. That's- I shit you not. <laughs> sure. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Totally normal. Oh, man. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was breaking down the actual layout of the underworld. Does that sound Ooh, fun? Yeah. yeah. So, of course, you have the gates. Oh, my God. The gates to the underworld, the gates right? Hell. Yeah. Right. So, like, what's the deal? What would you actually see? I kind of wanted to, like, give you, like, a, a play-by-play of, like, here's what you're actually going to deal with, right? You right. die, and you usually are going to have Hermes taking you along. I don't know how chatty he would be. He might just be, like, speeding along and just, like, moving you like you're a parcel. I have no idea. <laughs> At the entrance of the underworld lived the Daimonis. I'm bringing back some some oldies from our first episode. Oh, We've got grief, anxiety, disease, old age, fear, hunger, need, death, sleep, agony, and guilty joys or pleasures. 
Who's that? Dimonis. Yes. Yeah, step right up. <laughs> also, it's always sort of implied that Thanatos and Hypnos like live together and like like share a flat <laughs> and are you yeah. know twins. They just kind of like go to work and do their thing and like. But they're also in one of the few mentions that you get of Macaria. They're like her older brothers. Oh. Like her playmates. And like, oh, they're the ones that like hang out with her in the underworld and like keep her company. She's like weird little sister. They're like, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of always imagine her being drawn by, um, what's that, what's that guy? I forget his name, the artist. And all he does is like weird little sickly Victorian girls with giant eyes. <laughs> oh, I feel like I know who you're talking about. People always think it's like Tim Burton, but it's not. No, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, I know you're talking, talking about. about. Um, so I always imagine her being yeah. that, like having she's like spooky. this tiny little body, this giant head and these huge, huge eyes, eyes and being like, Hypnos, Hello. come play with yeah. me. She's like walking through walls, has no concept yeah. of privacy. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Yeah, she doesn't realize how spooky she is. She's like super No, I think super she creepy. scares Thanatos. Like yeah, totally. Thanatos is probably like, oh god, I keep telling you not to I'm sneak to up on me. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I don't have a choice. You know what I'm saying? She's like, I don't have footsteps. What do you want from me? <laughs> She's yeah. just a normal little girl, but it's just like incredibly scary. <laughs> That's it. So basically, remember, if you didn't if you didn't catch it, that whole group that I just talked about are basically the horde of Knicks mm-hmm. that she had completely on her own. Uh, we love the Knicks family. We do. Across from them, because you have to basically pass through like two camps. So they just the like left. stand at the gates like a gang. No, they're not at the gates. They're before oh, they're be- you even get to the gates. Oh, so not even like leading up to the gates. Yeah, I was thinking also at West Side Story. They're like the, the Jets and the Sharks. You would be walking in on them going at each other because they're the left camp. Now the right camp. Now imagine this battle, okay? And it has to be a dance battle for necessary reasons. Yeah, of course, reasons. obviously. Yeah. You have the Daimonis on the left, and on the right, opposite them, you have War, the embodiment of War, the Furies, and Eris, the goddess of Discord. Oh, this is a mess. Yeah. So they're all just like hanging out in like this fucked up apartment complex on campus in the underworld. And then closer to the doors and gates themselves, before you can actually get to them, you have a group of Chthonic centaurs, Scylla, awesome. Briarius, who's one of the Hecaton Kyres, who's just hanging out. Just hanging out. Just, the yeah. Gorgons, the yes. Lernian Hydra, oh Garion, who's a fearsome giant, the Chimera, and the Harpies. I want to go to this bar so bad. This is like, and it's because like some of them like, like work in the underworld. Yeah. Like there's like parts yeah. where like the harpies have to torture people, but they're like hanging out at like their shared flat, just like you know shitting on everything. I imagine it's like the bird break women. room. It's the break room, but you have to walk through it to get to the gates. You have to walk through it to <laughs> and get. And they're all to like, "Who the, the fuck are you, thing. new kid?" Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> These are like the cool kids. Now, in the center of all of this horror show that we're talking about, like the the two <laughs> warring gangs in a dance battle, and then like the the back dancers in the back who are not really sure if they're going to get picked or not. You basically have this giant elm tree. Remember the Onoroi? Yeah. yeah. Remember how there was like truth and falsehood? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's actually a bad version of dreams called false dreams, which I looked up and I'm having a really hard time figuring out. It's somewhere between like nightmares and like mania. I don't really know. Cause those often get conflated sleep paralysis it could, uh, maybe i don't know oh my god i would absolutely believe that was like a spirit if i saw a sleep paralysis uh, yeah, hello yeah terrifying uh, yeah. so these false dreams daimonis they cling to the underside of each leaf of the the giant elm tree in the Whoa. center oh no. 
And you have to like no. walk by. Oh my god, all that's of this. this is this is scary. You're like, I don't want to go. I don't want to just. I, I want to go back somewhere one. else. Yeah, right. No. Just you haven't even gotten to the gates. Yet? All of this lies before the river sticks. Damn. You have to go there? all through all of this <laughs> before you can even get to Karen's boat. You're literally describing a haunted house. Right. Like a Halloween haunted house that you That's have to what walk it is. Through. <laughs> That's what this is. I went to this. You have to kind of be like hazed to get into the underworld. Totally. You're like, I just died. Is that enough? Like, do I now I have to be like scared like with everything I've ever yeah. heard of? Like <laughs> So then you would get to the river sticks and there would be Charon the boatman. Now, Charon is a child of Nyx. Some say the youngest of her brood. She had all of those Daimonis, and then at the last second was like, Yeah, this last one. We need a boat guy. I'm and then there was Charon. He's the ferryman on the river, Styx, whose passage all require to enter the underworld. And that passage costs you usually one or two coins, depending on the burial rites at that point in Greek history. Because the newly dead should have these coins handy right. if they were properly buried. During the burial rites, either one was inserted in your mouth or two were laid on your eyes and so i guess like cost of living cost of dying <laughs> went up and then they were like damn inflation's a bitch find a smaller apartment down there right <laughs> um fucking hell's getting gentrified <laughs> now if you couldn't pay or if you had been left unburied you would be left on the opposite shore to wander for eternity oh. although wow. in some tellings you would only have to wait a hundred years and then Charon would show you mercy and take you across. Wow. Which I kind of love. He's like, okay, you've been hanging around for a long time. Now tell me what you think the boatman looks like. Ooh, I guess I do a picture him like a more traditional psychopomp, like kind of cloaked and I don't not imagine his face, but very like human actually personally. Okay. And kind of like um, gruff and like, I don't know, he's like very scary. I think like classically, he's like an old dude that stands on the boat and like waits for you to get on the boat. But I think as a result of that like classic representation, a lot of the representation I've seen uh, is people trying to be edgy with that. Um, and so it's like him as like eldritch thing that is maybe also the boat. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. Which, like, I think checks out a little bit more because he's a child of Nyx, like a, a way earlier child of Nyx. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think normally I've seen him depicted as, like, some somewhere between an old, really creepy, mysterious man in a boat and, like, an eldritch being that also may be a boat. So, his image has had quite the evolution. Now, originally, Charon was depicted as a rough-looking mariner. He was just straight that's, up an Athenian sailor. That's sort of He was idea. just an old Athenian sailor. <laughs> that's kind of how I picture him, for sure. On later Vaz paintings, he's, his image gets kind of softened. He becomes more kindly and, like, refined. And then after this, for a while, he's a cruel old man who is consistently said to wear foul, soiled clothing. Oh. And, like, smell horrible. Like, he's supposed to smell like death. Do you know what's funny is the oh. other thing I was going to add to mine is that I, I think of him as somewhere between, like, yeah, like a fisherman and, like, a hobo. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on when they were written because yeah. that's as, that ends ancient Greece depictions and now we go into more modern ones because by the time of the Divine Comedy, he was depicted as a gaunt, desiccated old man. Like, mm. almost, like, Dying. looks like he's already dead, basically. Yeah. Or 
fully a winged demon wielding a double hammer or an oar that he beats the dead with if they dare hesitate in boarding the boat. He's just the jerk. Kind of. <laughs> he's a fucking asshole Hurry when the he's fuck that. Up. <laughs> yeah. But more modern depictions have shown him consistently to be skeletal. Undoubtedly influenced by the Grim Reaper, who developed in the 15th century. This Charon, and almost all Charons typically, are silent, cold, but they're not usually unkind. Right. Right. Yeah, they're just kind of, he's just kind of doesn't talk. I imagine him not saying much. It's like you either have the payment or not, like get in the boat. Right. That's it. You know what I mean? Um, he kind of makes me think of the Ghost of Christmas Future. Totally, same. Where he's like, I'm here to show you something and all I do is point. Yeah. And that's all I've got. Totally. You're not, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> Who knows if I can even speak? Who knows if like me talking would make your eyes bleed out of your head? Exactly. I don't know, you know? <laughs> so then you would get across the shore and you would get to the gates. And who's chilling at the gates? Look at Big Floppy. That's right. Yeah, it's time for Cerberus. Da, 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 da. Dog hour. Adopt, don't shop. That's where dogs right. are, though. They're always at your front door. That's like, it. <laughs> I was like, who's that? Who's that? Is that a new so, soul? <laughs> so Cerberus um, has an interesting pedigree, if you will. Cerberus is a child of Echidna, the mother of monsters, and Typhon. Does everybody remember Typhon? Typhon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Cerberus has a lot of iterations. The most classic is that of a giant three-headed dog with a serpent's tail and snakes protruding from his body in some arrangement. In fact, in some tellings, he had as many as 50 heads and snakes protruding down his spine like a mane and ending in a giant, like, serpentine tail that could spit venom. Oh, that's sick. It is said by many of the popular accounts of ancient times that he ate raw flesh, had eyes of burning fire, a three-tongued mouth, and a supernatural level of hearing. Cool. Checks out. Yeah. He has three (laughs) siblings. I thought this was the cutest thing I'd ever heard of. One of his siblings is Orthrus, who is the two-headed dog who guarded the legendary cattle of Geryon, the fearsome, like, multi-limb giant. Oh... (laughs) Yes, the two-headed dog is younger. Yeah, he's like a baby. He's like, baby <laughs> he's like, I got a lot of heads, too. It's okay. Their sister is the Lernian Hydra. Oh, yes, that one. The- <laughs> a lot of heads in this family. <laughs> yes. And a lot of snakes. Yeah, a lot of snakes. And then last but not least, their, I think, oldest sibling, if I remember correctly, is the Chimera. Awesome. Who is usually three-headed, has like a lion, a goat, and a snake head, but not like the way that Cerberus is, but like coming yeah. out of different, different parts, parts of the body and like multiple <laughs> limbs. And They do all seem related, though, all those monsters. Like, they all if seem you put related. them in a lineup, yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, there's, a, okay. there's a common thread here. Absolutely. Echidna's just like, my baby. Yeah. yeah. Sweet little babies. <laughs> the chimera was so famous that it became a commonly used term in zoology, in genetics, yeah. Um, yeah. and a lot of different things. Now, the, vo- the most famous account featuring Cerberus is his run-in with Heracles during his 12th and final labor in which he was challenged to capture Cerberus and bring him to the surface. Heracles learns how to enter the underworld and approaches Hades, explaining the situation. Hades gives him permission to carry out his labor on the condition that he does not harm Cerberus in any way. Which, like, makes him ten times hotter. (laughs) He literally takes Heracles' weapons. Heracles sets off. He finds the hellhound at the gates, because he's a good boy doing what he's supposed to be doing. He gathers up a great length of chain crafted out of adamant. Do we remember Adamant? Mm -hmm. And deftly lassos each one of the beast's three heads 
and then begins to pull on the first leash maybe <laughs> I, I don't know so Cerberus <laughs> fights him tooth and nail but of course Heracles strength is unmatched and as he emerges from the underworld Cerberus blinded by the unfamiliar sunlight that he's never seen before and still digging in his heels and struggling against the might of Heracles is foaming at the mouth from the effort his spittle falls to the fresh earth of our world and immediately springs up aconite or Wolfsbane. Wow, cool. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because if you look it up, if you look up the color of Wolfsbane, it's this really beautiful, deep, rich purple that I've noticed a lot of people draw Cerberus to be that color. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, which I think is wild. So, of course, he drags him to the king who had set him to the task and, you know, shows that he's completed the task, scares the fuck out of everybody, that the fucking hellhound is loose on the earth, and then <laughs> brings him back down to the underworld, safe and sound, where Hades, I'm sure, gave him lots of treats and generous pets. So, in your head, what breed of dog have you always pictured Cerberus before this point? Uh, honestly, I think because I grew up around so many pit bulls and rottweilers, probably like a pit bull or rottweiler. Like three pit, like a probably like two Rottweiler heads and a pit bull head. Okay. I feel like it's more like. Um, I'm trying to think of what actual breed it would be. <clears throat> Something more like fluffy and black. I mean, almost more like a wolf, but not gray like a wolf. You know. Um, mm. I'm actually really good at dark for breeds. For me, I've always felt more wolf-like too, in terms yeah. of like the structure of the face and the yeah. snout. Longer yeah, like almost like, like maybe like three black German Shepherd heads, but yeah. like looking real rough. If the German Shepherd was yeah, like all black, yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen an all black German Shepherd? Yes, they're oh, gorgeous. My God, they're stunning. <laughs> yeah. I've always wanted one. They're very beautiful. So, once you get beyond Cerberus, who I'm sure needs to sniff you very, very intensely before you're allowed <laughs> in to make sure that you're dead and you're not one of the living trying to sneak trying in because that's not allowed, you would then go through the gates and you would be standing before the judges of the dead. Awesome. So the judges of the dead were a tribunal of three judges and they would judge the deeds of the deceased and they would they also created the laws that govern the underworld. And so you have Aeacus, Radamanthus, and Minos. And in most myths, they're all three previously mortal kings. Mm. And so you have Aeacus, who's the guardian of the keys to the underworld, and he judges people who are from Europe. What? <laughs> <laughs> and then you have Rhinomanthus, who's the Lord of Elysium, which we'll get to in a second, mm -hmm. but that's like the paradise part. Yeah. And he judges people from Asia. What? What? <laughs> Those are the two options. There's not another one. What? Where, yeah. does, where does everyone Because apparently go? that's the whole world. Oh. Yeah, that's it. As they that's understand it, that's it. Yeah. Right. And then there's... Sounds like everyone else just gets to get, get, get it out of it. Right, exactly. You just do whatever you want. Um, then we have Minos, <laughs> who is considered the wisest. He's almost Solomon-esque. Uh, and Hades gave him the final vote in any dispute about the afterlife oh. fate of any individual being judged. He's the closer. Mm -hmm. So after this point, you would then be <laughs> sent service. somewhere. And... <laughs> That's actually a newer development uh, in the grand scheme of ancient Greece, because originally everyone went to what was called the House of Hades. Mm. In the earliest tellings during the time of like Homer, we basically saw that like all the dead, regardless of who they were, the lives that they lived, anything, they were taken down to the House of Hades, which was a gray, gloomy underworld that they wandered aimlessly, having completely forgotten their lives and their identities. Right. 
And that was it for everyone forever. Lovely. (laughs) Yeah. Then you have the development of the tribunal and you have the assignation of souls to different realms. So you have among them the Asphodel Meadows, which is a place for mediocre souls who did nothing great or interesting in their lives. Uh, They did no great deeds. They committed no great sins. They're not worthy of reward or punishment. And the majority of souls end up here. And they'll be dull and nameless, drifting without meaning or identity. You also have the Morning Fields right next door, which is named in the Aeneid and is a section of the underworld reserved just for people who wasted their lives pursuing unrequited love. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So (laughs) if he's not that into you, figure it out and move on or you're going to have a shitty afterlife. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then we have Elysium or the Elysian Fields, or the Isles of the Blessed, or the Fortunate Isles. So this was ruled over by King Radamanthus. It was the area that was incredibly beautiful and was reserved for uh, demigods and epic heroes for the like the beginning. And then later on developed to be like, anybody who's lived righteously can get there. And that wasn't just because somebody was like trying to sell something. There weren't like Greek televangelists who were like, you know, <laughs> give me your coins and then I will get you to paradise. It was actually, um, oftentimes it's chalked up to Socrates that it was said that Socrates made it to Elysium just because of his development of philosophy, Hmm. not because of any like heroic deeds or the fact that he was like the child of a God. Hmm. Right. So that sort of opened the door. Yeah, because I was going to ask, like, what if you did something really cool for your city, but you weren't necessarily an epic hero? Do you still have to go to Asphodel? And that would suck. Yeah, no. So, yeah. So, basically, then opened up. And so, Elysium um, opened up. And so, the thing about it is it's it's where you wanted to go. I mean, it was beautiful. Everybody had an easy afterlife. There was no labor. It was usually depicted as the only place in the underworld that wasn't gray, damp, and miserable. Instead, it had, like, a glorious golden glow and had golden fields of wheat and beautiful weather all the time. In Elysium, there were also the Isles of the Blessed or the Fortunate Isles. And when a soul arrived in Elysium, it was given a chance to reincarnate. You had a choice. If you did and you earned Elysium three lifetimes in a row, your soul would then arrive would arrive at the Isles of the Blessed or the Fortunate Isles, which was the closest thing to like heaven or paradise that the Greeks had in terms of an afterlife. Hmm. So you're just good so forever. Was a then Dave and Buster's charge card <laughs> for Elysium. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta keep running. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then you have uh, Tartarus, obviously, which was considered to be the depths of the underworld. It was actually described by ancient authors as lying beneath the underworld, as the earth lies beneath the heavens. Right. And mm. it was home to the Titans and a select few mortals whose crimes were so like considered heinous in the eyes of the gods. And we're going to get to one of them in just a little bit. But one of the other things that you're always going to see about the underworld is the amount of rivers. There's just fucking rivers Everywhere. all over the place, and all of them have some kind of attribute. So I wanted to break those down. So we have Styx, the most famous, named after the Titan goddess of hatred. It circles the underworld seven times, and the oaths of the gods were sworn upon it. Then we have Acheron. The Acheron River is the river of pain. This is the river that Charon ferries the dead across in the accounts which do not name Styx. Because it's not always sticks that he ferries you across. There are more oh. rare accounts where you get you get um, ferried across the river of pain. Okay, there's kind of like this depiction of that river being full of like souls or something. 
because I've seen that, that that depiction of Charon where uh, the ore or the hammer is used to like beat back souls in the river who are mm-hmm. trying to get at the people being ferried. Mm-hmm. Um, That's that a development be, from like, Dante's Inferno. Dante, I was gonna say. God, that happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, Dante's Inferno, they're crossing rivers constantly. Yeah, like, man, that Christian and they're all different. Is out here. Yeah. <laughs> then of course you have the two rivers of memory. You have Lethe, named after the goddess right. of forgetfulness and oblivion. Hypnos was known to carry a poplar branch, which had been dipped in the waters of the river Lethe, and that's how he could put people to sleep. It was understood that all souls wishing to reincarnate would first be made to drink from the river in order to forget their previous life. And of course, then we have the opposite, the river Nemesini, named after the Titan goddess of memory, words, and language, mentioned by the Orphics, who recommended drinking from this river instead of from Lethe, because then you could break free of the process of reincarnation. Hmm. Whoa. We then have the river Phlegathon, which is the river of fire and leads straight down into the depths of Tartarus. Wow. That one I didn't know about because it's called Phlegathon. Yeah, I mean, that does just sound like a band also. (laughs) Also, just like like DM's first dragon they made up, they just go, oh, the Lake of Fire from Greek mythology. Easy. (laughs) Yeah, also, I do love the prefix of phle, P-H-L-E-E, because like phlebotomy (laughs) is blood. And I think there's something there that it's like blood and fire in the river. Yeah. Then we have the river Cocytus, which is the river of whaling, which may actually be the origin of the idea of like souls in one of the rivers, because apparently it's a river that just constantly, instead of being like a babbling brook, is just constant whales of agony. Love it. (laughs) And lastly, we have Oceanus. And you're like, whoa, what's Oceanus doing here? Well, Oceanus is the world river, don't forget, right. which marks yeah. uh, the east edge of the underworld. Because to the mm-hmm. ancient Greeks, Hades was believed to be west of the mortal world, as far as you could go, because that's where the sun sets. Uh-huh. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So it bumps up against Oceanus. Um, and then last but not least, before we get to our big myth that we're doing today, we have a couple other sort of folks around town in Hades who you might want to know about <laughs> when you die because they're going to be hanging around. <laughs> we have um, Achilles, the chthonic goddess and the personification of misery and sadness, who's Aww. a great time. Yeah, she sounds wonderful. And we have Uranomos, who's one of the chthonic daimons of violence, who oh. tears the flesh off of corpses and devours it, leaving only their bones. Yep. You know, you get mealybugs so you can strip yeah, the... Yeah, it's, a, it's efficient. Yeah. Everyone has yeah. to eat. I don't know why you guys are yeah, fat shaming this poor spirit <laughs> who's just living her best life. If Lizzo was practicing cannibalism, you guys would have nothing to say. You'd be like, yes, queen. <sighs> this is not the first conversation about cannibalism I had this week. No, of course not. No, of course. I mean, it's constant here. That brings us to a fun <laughs> section known as Hades Lovers. Yeah. Or, well, I don't know if that's the appropriate sound. Yeah, I don't know either. For that. Let's see. Well, but I don't know if it'd be like an excited, like, ah. It's a short section. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Because we have pre-Persephone and we have post-Persephone. We have Luki, who was before Persephone. Hades loved her, lived with her as his wife. She was the most beautiful of all the nymphs, a daughter of Oceanus. He fell in love with her, abducted her, which is his M.O., and brought her down to the underworld, where they apparently lived happily for the rest of her natural life. One of the things about nymphs is that they live a lot longer. They're kind of like elves. They live a lot longer than humans, but they're not immortal. They still die. 
She eventually oh, no, passed away of natural causes, and, and Hades transformed her remains into a pure white tree, a poplar tree, in the Elysian fields. Yeah. Isn't there someone else who did something with poplars also? For some reason, I thought there was another story of people running away from a god and then them turning them into That's a tree. That's me. That's my myth. Tree. That's Daphne. There's, so there's basically, for just about any tree that you can think of that grows in Greece, there's <laughs> okay. a woman running away from a okay. god pursuing her. And then she's usually a nymph of some sort, Yeesh. and then she turns herself into a tree permanently to escape him. Gotcha. The most famous is Daphne, um, which we'll go over when we talk about Apollo, because he's the fuck shit that was chasing her. Dick. Um, but yeah, so speaking of people being turned into plants, um, <laughs> we have Minthi, who is pretty much... Ex it's, listen, here's the thing you have to understand. Obviously, we're going to go in depth when we do our Persephone episode about the reality of like her abduction, whether or not she was abducted, why she was abducted, where consent plays into this and how it should be depicted ethically, the relationship between Hades and Persephone. But the point is, is that it's pretty much accepted at this point that Hades and Persephone were a fantastic pair and yeah. that their marriage was one of the strongest that the gods and the Greeks had ever known. And they were entirely yeah. monogamous and faithful and in love with each other, which is why the story of Minthi seems really odd. It almost seems like somebody was like cataloging all of the improprieties and the fucking horrible violence that like Zeus and Poseidon were doing and had the three brothers and realized like that Hades column <laughs> yeah. is is empty gotta <laughs> give him something <laughs> we have to give him one story i guess and it's not even a good story so basically there's two ways that it's told so it's time for choose your own misery <laughs> the idea is is that hades cheats on persephone with a nymph named minthy and persephone catches wind loses her shit and turns her into the mint plant and that's why mint is his one of his like holy things Yes. Now, in the other more common version, she may or may not have actually hooked up with Hades, but the point is, is that she was acting real reckless and in pursuit of Hades, which she was like openly telling everyone, like, I'm going to take him from Persephone. He's so oh, hot. Bone daddy, come take me. She's also at the same time telling everyone, I don't know what he could possibly see in her anyway. I'm so much more beautiful than Persephone. Ew. And Demeter catches wind. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, that's not going to go well. Oh, the so only thing scarier than like Persephone <laughs> hearing that you're talking shit yeah. about her is oh, Demeter, yeah. who starved the earth and almost made everybody extinct, including the gods, because somebody took her daughter away. Yep. I guess she was having a good day when this happened <laughs> because she catches wind and then decides to add some mint to her earthly garden and thinks that's enough. For punishment. Unless she boiled Minthi alive every morning. Yeah, maybe she And made like a nice mint, nice mint tea. tea. Yeah. 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 I'm definitely picking that, that one. That sick. one's just way more badass. Uh, it just makes yeah. more sense. Yeah. Honestly. Both are, they both seem pretty out there, you know? It's like, like, why is this happening? I agree. Do that doesn't seem right. Because we just need an origin for mint, apparently. We it's really, like, yeah, mint is a big open, there was a big like empty spot. Like, well, actually, it's a really interesting thing about peppermint. It was super commonly used in the ancient world in embalming techniques because of its smell and the fact that it could uh, help when it came to decaying bodies and all of that. Um, and so it was a pretty obvious thing that like mint is going to be associated with Hades, but they clearly were just trying to find some way to make it fit. And I guess this is the best they could come up with. 
Got you. From what you told us in the beginning of like them not wanting to really even say his name, you know, like why would someone go around being like, I'm going to go fuck Hades? Like, like that doesn't make any You know what I mean? I do like the idea that the nymphs are just basically Bad Girls Club. I am yeah. kind of into that being yeah, a thing. I, I think, think that's yeah. fun. Yeah. I think that's been pretty much consistent in all of my depictions of nymphs. I do kind of like the idea that like all the nymphs are like the like 12 year old girls they get for like Maury. Who <laughs> were like, Maury, I don't care what the fuck my dad says and if he's a river god or not. I suck dick for a cheeseburger. I don't give a fuck. Yep. I lost my virginity at nine. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah. At a truck stop. And you're like, please let this be a farce. Because I- that or mall girls. But we also, mm. this is just really mean. This, this is why mean. we all have to get turned into fucking trees because we get ourselves into so much trouble. Just and then we're like, talking oh, shit. Hey, fuck, no, make me a tree, make me a tree. Just like, talking reckless. Not even in anymore. I can't deal That's with the consequences. Yeah, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so basically uh, that is just about <laughs> it. I mean, on the loves. So, yeah, so we're going to jump into the myth that we really want to uh, play out for you today at Desperation Community Theater. Uh, it is a fun one. It's you know about a wily mortal who's a piece of shit and basically gives the gods a run for their money, and it has a lot to do with the underworld. So, is everybody ready for the story of Sisyphus? <laughs> Yahoo! Okay, yeah. I think. Thanatos was a really nice guy with a gentle touch, but a very tough job. Humans almost never welcomed his appearance even though he was literally the gentlest, most peaceful form of death out of everybody who could have visited them instead. That could bear down on you. Well, he tried to stay cheery, and that's what he was doing one day, when he got up, got ready for work, and headed out to give normal, natural death to an elderly king, a king named Sisyphus. Sisyphus was the son of King Aeolus of Thessaly and the brother of Salmonius. Him and his brother hated each other. He had been fortunate in life, even marrying one of the Pleiades and having six healthy sons. He was the founder and first king of a land called Athera, which is supposedly the original iteration of Corinth. He advanced his society greatly with navigation and commerce, and it thrived in response. He could have been a great king, but there was just one problem. Sisyphus was the most cruel, selfish, narcissistic, deceitful piece of shit who had ever lived. (laughs) He regularly killed those who visited his palace just to taunt Zeus, violating Zeus's sacred laws of hospitality. He was often called the craftiest of men, and he only ever used his cunning for ill works. And then he actually crossed Zeus. You see, Zeus was on his usual bullshit and had snatched up a river nymph named Aegina, daughter of the river god Aesopus. And when Aesopus came asking after his daughter, Sisyphus decided to snitch. Um, I'm just wondering if you could help me. I, I haven't seen my daughter since two days ago. She's just kind of gone. I don't know where she is. We were supposed to have dinner together tonight. Do you know anything, Sisyphus? Are you asking me if I was standing near a river and saw a someone get abducted by someone is that what you're asking i'm sorry what i i think that might be what i'm asking did you see something well no because i i don't know if i saw something because i was thinking about how i you know when i go home i miss the sound of the river that i was standing next to but there's no there's no i could really use the help honestly this is my daughter like i'm very concerned i don't know what you're asking is there like a thing that you need from me because i really like i'm 
getting a little uncomfortable with this conversation. No, bro. It's working. You know, I'm just saying that, like, it, it would be dope if I could hear water from my house, you know. But I have to travel all the way out here to this river that sometimes people get abducted at. And it's just like a big okay, thing. Okay, maybe so. I can help you with that. Is there actually something you have to tell me? Do you have real information? I'm just saying that sometimes when I come to this river, there are people here. And then sometimes there's flashes of light and a strange duck or something comes up. And then that person isn't there Listen, anymore. Listen, okay, sometimes that I will give you whatever here. you want. You name it. I will give you whatever you want. I just need to know what happened to my daughter. Okay, so like theoretically, if I did know something about your daughter... And I wanted like a fresh spring or something somewhere like near my house, like just theoretically. Done, done. Yeah, Zeus took her. It was it was one hundred percent. It was Zeus. Like I was standing there. Yeah, it was one hundred percent. He's done it before. He's it shouldn't be. All right, you got your spring. Honestly, you, got your spring. That you should have gone somewhere else. And I'm gonna fuck him up. Yeah, you go for that. <laughs> I don't know if I really will, but I'm gonna say I'm going to. So, Right, and so now the spring, right? It needs to. I would like it to go like hit. Like I want it to go south, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah bit, you got what you, know? you want. Like, you and this like, conversation <laughs> probably took a really, really long time to resolve itself because Sisyphus is, and this is not the first or last time I will say this, the fucking worst. <laughs> Jesus, Zeus finds out that Sisyphus snitched on him, and he's so furious. What does he do? Do you think he strikes him with a lightning bolt? Too fast. Do you think that he sends some kind of, like, the Furies after him? No. It'd be great if he turned into an eagle and then picked him up and turned him into a goat. And then, like, did that eagle dropping the goat off the mountain thing? Yeah, absolutely. All of this would make a lot of sense. He (laughs) is so fucking pissed that Sisyphus stitched on him and got a beautiful (laughs) spring with koi that are happy in it. (laughs) <laughs> that he calls up Thanatos and tells him he wants Sisyphus chained and thrown into Tartarus. Uh-oh. <laughs> so Thanatos comes to him in the night, ready to snuff out his mortal flame, but Sisyphus is the worst. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, 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 what's going on? What are you, uh, what are you doing here? Oh, you here? can see me? I mean, I saw some rustling in the blinds over there, my window. Oh, can can you see me now? I can see you. Oh, no. Oh, no. I have this cape of darkness, and I think it got a hole in it. I'm going to have to ask my mom to fix it again. <laughs> She's going to be so mad. This keeps happening. Do you know that you have bushes out there that have not been trimmed, and they have really spiny branches on them? I'm, it tore my cloak. I had to fire my lawn guy. That's, well, that's sad. What are you well, you don't have to worry about your lawn anymore because you are dying. Oh. Yeah. Hi, I'm Thanatos. I'm the good one. I'm nice, peaceful death. You're going to die in your sleep. What? It's not going to be a big deal at all. Oh, but what? Okay. What's going to happen to me? I don't love Ooh, this. I wish you wouldn't have asked that. <laughs> um, so it seems like you made Zeus really, really mad. No, do you remember really? that? Do you remember that happening? No. Did you do something that might have made him mad? No. No. Did you... Does it have anything to do with that brand new, beautiful, bubbling spring that you have on your Acropolis? No, that was... Where'd that that, come from? Well, this nice man just, um... A man or a river god whose daughter got abducted? Well, it might have been. It might have been that one. Did you extort a grieving father whose daughter got abducted by the king of the gods? Oh, well... So these are chains of adamant. I don't know if you've heard of it. It severed the genitals of the forebear of the Olympians. Those look really, um, really uncomfortable. 
I'm gonna have to wrap you up in them and then throw you down into Tartarus with the Titans. Oh no, I'm scared. <laughs> it's boss's orders. Honestly, I don't have really anything against you. I don't really know. I don't even know you. You don't um, even know me. I don't. It's those just, look really, you know really uncomfortable. I have this wrist thing, and my doctor said I should just be careful with too much movement totally, or heavy weight. I, could you, could you do me a huge favor? Could you, um, could you, uh, like show me how you're gonna put them on me? Just like, yeah, yeah. Just show it's, me an well, easy actually, example. The interesting thing about adamant is it's like ergonomic, right? So like we're gonna okay. wrap it around all the points wrap it around avoiding your joints you right now. Right, right, right. Yeah. Me. So you see how I have me. it like around my midsection. Got it. And then it's gonna avoid your joints, especially Perfect. you know a lot of my clients are really elderly. They have arthritis, osteoporosis. I try not to do too much with the joints. That's um, great. It's all about light touch. Light touch. You know. So yeah, so we're gonna wrap it up. Kind of just let like me just this. help you with that. Yeah, let me just help you. And yes, there you go. It's perfect. Um, you weren't supposed to lock them though. Well, you, you know, I just think they look better on you. <laughs> I really hope this isn't what I think it is. I'm gonna just um, set you over here, and I'm gonna oh. go. I'm gonna go somewhere else. <laughs> oh no! Enjoy, this is bad. enjoy. <laughs> First my torn cloak and now that I'm going to get in so much trouble. So as you can see, Sisyphus is the danger. fucking worst <laughs> and took advantage of sweet, simple Thanatos who didn't do anything to anybody. So nice. Thanatos being sweet demonstrated for him. Uh, but as he did so, Sisyphus struck, wrapping the god of death in his own supernatural chains and fleeing. And with the god of death not being able to move around... Neither could death. <laughs> now, no one knew what happened for a bit until Ares noticed something was a little bit off. He was inciting wars and causing conflicts like you do, and there was plenty of bloodshed to revel in, but suddenly, no one was dying. Ares was watching as decapitated soldiers kept talking and blood flooded the war grounds, but none of them died. Okay, so that Corinthian war actually went a lot better than I thought I was going to go. So this Delian leak... Wait the, wait a minute, I left that battlefield. There are still people there. What the hell? Why isn't anyone fucking dying? <laughs> Sensing something rotten afoot, he switched on his God Tracker GPS, I'm assuming here, found Thanatos and was gobsmacked when he saw his maybe cousin chained up on a king's throne. Thanatos explained what happened, and Ares, enraged, hunted down the king who thought he could cheat death, found him, bound him up, and delivered him back to Thanos, who was now free. In an alternate version, it's Hades himself who ascends to the living world and gets tricked by Sisyphus, chained up, and as a result, no sacrifices can be made because the animals won't die, and neither will anything or anyone else. The other gods intervened and castigated Sisyphus, telling him to release Hades, or each one would ensure he lived forever, and that it was the most painful, miserable life that any mortal had ever <laughs> known. It's gonna be bad. <laughs> Either way, Sisyphus ends up dead. But the story doesn't end there. It should, but it doesn't. Because he's a dick. <laughs> Before he Stop. dies, he instructs his wife to throw his body, lifeless and naked, into the center of the city square. Unburied. She complied because he was, I repeat, the absolute Crazy. fucking worst. Yeah. And she was just <laughs> happy to be rid of him. And because of this, he remained stuck on the shores of the River Styx, unable to cross without a proper burial. 
He called out to Persephone and told her what happened and asked her to grant him leave to return to the surface and punish his wife for her betrayal. Is that? Oh no! Another one is stuck on the other shore. Karen, can you get me over there? I've Thank had you so much. Oh, here, help me! Help me get off the boat. Thank you so much. I don't want my garments to get soaked with spirits. Okay. What? Hi. What's going on with you? Oh, I'm so tragic. I've had such a bad day. I died. Oh, well, you died. Yeah, but yes, but my wife, tough. she she just she just threw me out. I didn't do anything to deserve this. She just threw me in the town square with no burial, nothing naked. I didn't get a proper burial. This is not befitting someone of my stature. And I'm just well, What was your stature? I was a king. You were a king? What's your name? Sisyphus. Oh, okay. Well, I haven't heard of you before. Well, I, um, you know, I. No, I mean, I not. No, I mean, I haven't heard any bad things. No, so I, I was a very I'm nice. I'm sure you're telling me the truth. I was Why a very nice. Why would your wife nice do that? Did you do something to her? I don't know. You know, she's just been a little different these days, probably with me dying and everything. I, I, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that, that'll change a person. I understand. I don't know what she was thinking. Maybe she's just fucking gone crazy. I really you don't know, know. Everybody processes grief differently. But I see it all the time. I just would not like to go this way. Would you let me, would you do me a, a favor? I just, I'd really like to ask for a favor. I would like to go up, back up and um, scold her. Just maybe give her a piece of my mind and see if we can redo this. Okay, well, she's not a dog, so I don't want you to scold her. But if you do want to I'll, go up very and politely. maybe haunt her. Okay, and then okay. Make, so that she'll give you a proper sacred burial that would like be everyone great. deserves. If I could yeah, just, absolutely. If I could just scare her a little or just, you know, whisper in her ear. Oh, you I'm, know what I found? Mm. It's actually much scarier if you haunt someone right at dawn because they think they're safe because the sun is coming up. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yes. Uh, Very one of my girlfriends spooky. in here, Mania, she's all about like nightmares and all that. Learn that one from her. You should try it. All I'm after is a proper burial. There is no Absolutely. ulterior motive it be? at all. I completely understand <laughs> and I haven't heard an ill word about no, you. I'm so, a okay. Nice guy. Here's your day pass. Thank it's going to expire in three days. <laughs> and just remember perfect. if you don't come back in that time, it will tell us where you are. So, so you have to be careful that you don't overstay your time, okay? I'll, I won't. I won't. I'll be. I'll do it the right way. Thank you. Okay. Well, good luck, and don't go too close to the tree, and don't go too close to the warring dance gangs because okay. they do a I'll, lot out here. Yeah, I'll be quick. Okay. All right. Have a Thank good one. You, bye. Bye. Susan just walks out and hears. He's such a liar. He's such He's, a, he just lies and lies. So I do really like the idea of having Vogue battles between yeah. <laughs> yeah. the different spirits. Like old age comes out and like stunts on everybody because they think she's de- decrepit. Then she redefines death drop. Yes. You know, it's like, it's really a thing. House Demonis. Yes! House oh my God. <laughs> so he went back up to the surface, found his wife, scolded her, and then refused to return to the underworld. His day pass had thought. long expired when someone... I I guess did a head count and finally Hermes himself had to come and drag his ass kicking and screaming into hell no you gotta hey look I know this sucks 
but you did this to yourself. You know they're not going to kill you, right? They're going to do something much worse. I think you might actually be the first human to go down there. I, you, I'd you, stay down there just to kind of see what it's like, probably take some notes, but I don't, I'd probably have something else to deliver. But right now, you're my most important delivery, and I have to deliver you directly <laughs> to TARDIS. I was told that I needed to take you there as fast as possible, but you were making it quite difficult because you're not actually, like, just can we just go? Like, we, it, it would be much faster. It would be a much faster process for you to think through if you just went with me, but you're, resi- you're resisting, and that's why we're having it. There you go. <laughs> Zeus was so fed up with this man's bullshit by this point and how he had embarrassed the gods, frankly, that he didn't just throw his ass in Tartarus. He didn't just grab the chains like he originally planned. No, he created a very specific punishment for his unbelievable hubris. He set him at the base of a steep hill where there was a great boulder and forced him to roll it up the hill. You believe yourself to be so cunning. Then roll this boulder up and over this hill. If you can do that, then you will not just be free from Tartarus. I will make you a god and you will (laughs) never die. He believed that. Unbeknownst to Sisyphus, Hades had enchanted the boulder to roll away from him as soon as he reached the top of the hill, condemning him to an eternity of futility (laughs) and frustration. (laughs) <laughs> so what do we think what do we think of hades and the whole the whole crew i hate that he got it over on so many gods like fuck you guy yeah oh, Sisyphus. yeah, yeah. like the- sisyphus honestly is the entire if he was a daimon he'd be the daimon who's the embodiment of the audacity that men have the audacity yeah. the yeah. sheer yeah. audacity because it's like the, the gods got it back but like he did he really fucked with them like over and over like they didn't have it under control for a minute there it's just that it's like from the minute he enters the story, he's terrible and just yeah. only ramps it up. <laughs> and the thing is, is like, it takes a lot for me to not cheer for the trickster character in a story. But he's so, yeah. and he's he so evil. Worst. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody, that's our episode. We really hope that you enjoyed going to fucking hell with us. Straight to hell! Yeah. So we will see you in the next one. In the meantime, please follow us on social media, on Instagram and on TikTok, at When God Was Queer. Take a second and check out anchor.fm slash whengodwasqueer, where you can leave us voice messages. Do it. Um, or you can email us at whengodwasqueer at gmail.com if you have suggestions for the episode or if you are excited about one of the Olympian gods coming up and you want to ask a question about them, we will answer it in the show and we will shout you out as well. Ooh. Yeah. Shout out. So other than that, we only have one final piece of business to deal with in our show, and that is when we say to you from us here at When God Was Queer... Be Be gay! gay. Two cries! The gods gods are always watching! (laughs) It has to just evolve into complete fucking chaos at this point, or it's not us. (laughs) Okay, bye! Adios! Um...